1: welcome to this brand new shiny episode of the referral that's my podcast with me dr curran i'm a surgeon in the nhs and i want to bypass and swerve all of that nonsense misinformation and pseudoscience that plagues the internet and online spaces especially when it comes to health science medicine all of that stuff i'm not going to prescribe you blueberries and kale and doing yoga on your head i'm going to give you actual science-based information to hopefully Save money, live better, live happier, and just actually follow the signs instead of crap. Your body is a death trap. It's full of flaws and glitches. Your intestines are basically noodles that cause constipation, and your batteries need recharging for eight hours every day. Now, I'm gonna show you how to counteract all that and improve your health and get your own back on the body. All the answers you need in this podcast. Every week, I'm gonna be joined by an expert. It could be some boffin from Oxford or Cambridge University, or it could be a celebrity who has a specific medical condition, an expert in their own right. Today is gonna be a juicy topic orgasms. Why are women not having enough orgasms compared to men? Is it anatomy? Is it science? Is it the patriarchy or badly behaved men? Can it save your marriage? Can it save your relationship? And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Charlene Douglas. She's a sex and relationship expert, and you probably recognise her face and that name because she was on Married at First Sight in the UK. What you get is that men will then rub the clip for England, like, <laughs> yeah. and,
0: and doing all the stuff they see in, in porn. Yeah. And then wonder why it's not happening
1: for the woman. We'll also play a quick round of Ask me anything this is really dangerous for me because it allows Charlene to ask me anything she wants
0: what's the most bizarre
1: thing that you've ever seen or heard From a patient. Make sure you stay tuned for if it ducks like a quack. This involves me debunking the most outrageous myths about orgasms. Popular opinion, the clitoris isn't just a tiny button that you can press and that you see on the outside. It actually extends behind and around the vaginal wall. Now in this podcast, I am gonna be answering questions from my guest and from you. So if you've got a juicy burning question you want me to answer, get in touch at thereferralpod.com. But first, to kick off, what the health is going on? What is going on in the world of health, medicine, science around the world?
0: What the hell?
1: This is outrageous. A university professor has lived underwater for over 74 days, and he doesn't plan to stop. He wants to go the full hundred days. Now he's not just floating in the water hoping he doesn't rise to the surface, he's actually inhabiting a tiny little undersea lodge that's 30 feet at the bottom of a lagoon in Florida. The difference is, this is no ordinary lodge. It has no technology that depressurizes it, so he's feeling the full pressure of being 30 feet underwater. Oh yeah, and he calls himself Mr. Deep Sea. You're probably wondering, why the hell is he living underwater for so long? Truth is, the researchers are looking at how the human body and the human physiology reacts to extremes of pressure now in addition to assessing the human physiology being affected by these extremes of pressure there's another thing that might happen the psychology of being isolated underwater i mean bear in mind that he's going to have very limited human contact which is one thing and it's well known and well documented in the scientific literature that prolonged periods of isolation which you'll obviously have when you're living underwater in a 30-foot deep lagoon you'll also have some significant impacts on your mood on your stress levels and who knows he might break additionally you need a bit of sun exposure for vitamin D synthesis and underwater you're probably not going to be getting enough sun now I have no idea what it is with people spending time on their own with no contact in weird places Beatrice Flamini a Spanish extreme athlete has emerged after spending 500 days in a cave in Grenada again with no human contact just to give you some context when beatrice Flamini entered the cave russia hadn't invaded ukraine and the world was still in the middle of the COVID pandemic she was 48 when she entered the cave and she was 50 when she came out when she emerged she was obviously very happy but at the press conference she was being held by people who had to support her because in the cave in the darkness she lost a sense of balance and she also lost her perception of time somewhat Now it's important to note that our sense of time, or our sleep-wake cycles, our circadian rhythm, the internal biological clock that we have, is dictated by environmental cues. The light and the dark. She mainly only had the dark, no light, so there was no way to you know, reset her internal compass. This has multiple consequences because the sleep-wake cycle isn't just so we know when to go to bed, when to wake up. It's actually involved in every single body process from what time you go to the toilet, when you're hungry, your immune system, your heart health, your biological clock. They have these biological clocks in every cell of your body. So it's not just your sleep that's affected, but every single system in the body. And it's proven that extended periods of isolation, and especially when we're talking 500 days, that's going to have significant impacts on your mental health and possibly contribute to neurodegeneration as well. Hello, listeners of The Referral. It's me, Dr. Curran. Are you tired of scouring the internet for medical answers only to end up on shady websites? Is your For You page full of TikTok experts pushing miracle weight loss drugs and superfoods? There's so many myths and nonsensical health advice out there on the internet. But on our weekly crowd science episodes, I'm helping real listeners like you get the truth. Subscribe to the Referral Plus, and you'll get access to additional crowd science episodes every week devoted entirely to answering your questions. Plus, as an added bonus, you'll enjoy ad free listening of all our episodes. You can even try it for free. Just head over to the Referral Show page on Apple Podcasts and click on the Try Free button at the top of the page to start listening today. Have a question of your own? Visit thereferralpod.com and submit it. There is no question too weird or too awkward for me. So what are you waiting for? Don't let the internet deceive you. Subscribe now to the Referral Plus and start getting answers today. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Why is there an orgasm gap between men and women? Doesn't matter if you're heterosexual, homosexual, polysexual, bisexual, there is a clear gap between men and women. Why is that? Is it science? Is it philosophy? Is it society? Or is it badly behaved men? So let's welcome today's guest. I'm joined by sex and relationship expert Charlene Douglas, also known as the intimacy coach. You might have seen Charlene on Married at First Sight, where she's been smashing it with her intimacy advice to relationships and couples. Charlene, before we get started into the nitty gritty of the big O, tell us a little bit about what you do.
0: So you've introduced me very well there. So I'm an intimacy coach. I suppose my official title is a psychosexual therapist. I work with individuals and couples, uh, pretty much with any issue that they've
1: got linked to sex and relationships. Beautiful. So let's get into it. From a science anatomical point of view, I had a couple of ideas as to why there might be this gap. I mean, clearly one thing which shocked me uh, was that it was only in 1998 that a urology surgeon, Professor Helen O'Connell, actually mapped the clitoris. Before then, it was, wasn't was really acknowledged as a larger-than-life piece. You know, people thought it was a tiny little button that you could see, but it was Helen O'Connell, which they actually mapped it and studied it using MRI. Uh, that's one of the things. But also, I thought, looking back throughout history at the orgasm gap... You know, men have always thought, and probably society has always thought, that it's more of an issue for men. If a man can't ejaculate and suffers from erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation, that could affect fertility. But in a female sense, the ejaculation isn't a biological function that affects fertility and reproduction. So maybe that's also a reason it was suppressed and the knowledge of that gap was suppressed. But... Rather than from a scientific, anatomical point of view, day to day, what do you think it is from a psychological, physical point of view, that gap?
0: Well, I think for... um a lot of women in particular we are sort of naturally maternal people so we want to make sure that you know in heterosexual relationships we want to make sure that our partner is looked after and cared for Um, and so there isn't that focus then on what we need in order to orgasm Mm. you know we're so used to making sure that our partner is protected and supported and that their needs are being met I think society has a big part to play as well Mm. you know we're taught how to help a man to feel sexually stimulated um, and then women just have to fit into that somehow Um, and I think it's only recently where women have actually started to have conversations with themselves with others where they're saying you know actually like we'd like to have an (laughs) orgasm too you know we'd like to experience pleasure it's not just about reproduction and I think the more people talk about it the more you realize that actually women really do want to have an orgasm.
1: What I find fascinating about what you've just said in men you know I'm a man, so it's yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a relatively straightforward phenomena. Right, uh, you know, there's some genital stimulation, the pudendal nerve, which sort of controls the orgasm in men. Uh, you know, that reflex arc goes up the spinal cord to the brain, and you know, you've got an orgasm, ejaculation, right. climax, whatever you want to call it. But in women, actually looking at the science, there's so many different routes to orgasm. You can, you know, vaginal, clitoral, cervical in some uh, women, yeah. and there's loads of other erogenous zones as well, and. For me, this was really mind-blowing for me. Um, they did a study on women who had spinal cord injuries right. where they had no sensation uh, to the genital area, so they couldn't feel anything on the vagina or labia. Mm-hmm. But still, if they stimulated that area, they still had orgasms uh, via different routes, via the vagus nerve, which sits outside the spinal cord and still gave them an orgasm, which suggests that actually it's not a one-way road as it is for men. There's actually so many different routes to orgasm, which actually isn't really talked about from a scientific point of view or even a cultural point of view.
0: No, I think there isn't that focus on... Giving women the space to explore their bodies to work out what works for them, yeah. you know, oftentimes there's this whole myth that women are very complex. Now, I'd say that we're not complex yeah. at all, I'd say that we just need to be understood. Yes, and I think for a lot of women, they do the same things that men need in order to orgasm you know, the five seconds of foreplay and then let's penetrate and oh, orgasm penetrate. should happen. Yeah. But that doesn't always work for women, and we know that the statistics show that a lot of women, I think, over I think the statistics. It's like over seventy-five percent of women require clitoral stimulation yes. in order for orgasms to happen, or like you know, fertile sexually aroused um, enough to orgasm. But in saying that, you know, I've said that to quite a lot of people, and then what you'd get is that men will then rub the clit for England, like <laughs> patting yeah. it and, and doing all the stuff they see in, in porn, yeah, and then wonder why it's not happening for the woman. So there's still more exploration that that's required for you know when you're in a relationship with a, when a guy's in a relationship with a woman where you need to think about like what does she need You know, it's not just touching the clitoris, rubbing it, throwing lubricant on it. It's like, but what else does she need? What else does her body need? And like you rightly said, there are other parts of the body that may be erogenous for for people. Nipples. Yeah, nipples, ears, earlobes. Thighs. Yeah, a lot of women spoke about like the lower back as well. Mm. It's quite sensual, but also like the way they're touched as well. You know, the pressure, you know, if it's, you know, are you doing it in a very slow, gentle way? I remember uh, speaking to a woman who'd once said that she was with her partner and her partner was going down on her. So I suppose the official term is, you know, performing oral sex, (laughs) going down on her, very Mm -hmm. colloquial term. And she said that midway through, he turned around to watch football um, because uh, someone had just scored. Now, she then wondered why it was that she was struggling with, like, staying in her body and really, like, getting into the vibe and having an orgasm. And it's like, well... Already, you're worrying about a partner who looks like they're getting bored,
1: right? Yeah, you know.
0: So, so how 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 are you expecting your body to, to so orgasm in that space?
1: Seeing these couples often, you know, who are having marriage difficulties, relationship difficulties, a lot of that might boil down to issues in the bedroom. Yeah. What tips would you give someone who's struggling in the bedroom? How can an orgasm save a relationship or save a marriage? What practical tips would you?
0: Well, first of all, I'd say that to take the focus off having an orgasm, because I think oftentimes what happens with couples is there's such a focus on we need to have an orgasm that they miss out on the journey. Mm. They miss out on the fun of exploring each other's bodies, of being playful. And so for me, I'd say that when you take the focus off, I need to have an orgasm and instead focus on sensation, slowing things down, connecting with one another, thinking about what you need to feel sexually stimulated. Mm. That's when oftentimes you will then notice that your body will feel more relaxed and then your orgasm. Women often come to me and say I really struggle to have an orgasm when I'm with my partner Mm. but then they will play with sex toys like a clitoral uh, stimulator a vibrator and then they can orgasm within minutes. Mm. So that would then suggest it's not something maybe medically that's that's taking place there yeah. that's not working. It's something psychological that's happening there where when you're by yourself, you feel really safe. You're not going to be judged, you're not going to be criticized, you can take your time. Your body doesn't it's not on a timer there's of There's no pressure. There's no pressure at all. You're not you've not got your partner watching you and saying have you come yet? Have you come? Yeah. Or about now? Have you come? Yeah.
1: Almost like a trophy that they need to claim. Yeah, like it's for
0: them. You yeah. Know?
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> like, you know, as opposed to just allowing the body to naturally just do what it's supposed to do. And I think with anything, and you know, obviously you're the the medical expert, but I'd say with with so many things when it comes to our bodies, when we put pressure
1: on it, we're mm, waiting for yeah, it. Yeah. Then,
0: I don't know, maybe sometimes our body's a little bit stubborn. It's like
1: I guess almost. You know, if you're trying to get to sleep and you are constantly clock-watching, thinking, what time is it? You yeah. probably suffer from insomnia or some degree of alertness that night because you're constantly clock-watching or you're looking at your alarm yeah. um, and you're doing all these sleep-tracking devices. Similar, I don't know what it would be, or orgasm or whatever, where <laughs> you're obsessed with orgasm yeah. at the forefront of the thing. But you mentioned, um, you know, about obviously that when women take their own time or masturbating on their own, um, they find they can orgasm with increasing Frequency, yeah. But it's interesting to know in the study done by Laurie Mintz of all of these women uh, and men, homosexual, heterosexual, it looks like there is an increased percentage of homosexual women and bisexual women who achieve orgasm rates almost equivalent to heterosexual men. Because does that suggest that women know what they're doing so they'll know what other women want? Probably.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's it's probably that. But I think there is something about there not being any expectations when it comes to lesbian sex, for example, right? So with heterosexual sex, we're taught that you know, based on the movies or porn, that your guy comes home from work and then you should want sex straight away. You should rip off each other's clothes. You should want sex so quickly and spontaneously. And then you need to groan like Harry Met Sally type groaning, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then without, you know, without much sexual stimulation at all, more, n- n- no more than just seeing your partner and, yeah. and the, the excitement of seeing your partner, then you just come in a way that's amazing and
1: so unreal. In your sort of expertise on psychology in relation to its sort of sex uh, interlink there, you may have come across stuff by Sigmund Freud. Everyone's probably heard of Sigmund Freud. Uh, You know, people sometimes see him as this expert in developmental psychology. But what I read about him, that he had this notion that... When a woman has a clitoral orgasm that's kind of derived from the clitoris, and that's the main source of stimulation, that woman would be seen as immature. Yeah. But vaginal orgasm, which is incredibly uncommon for a woman, I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's a very small percentage of women can orgasm via purely penetrative sex alone. Yeah. He thought that was a mature orgasm and or a sign of a mature woman. Yeah. Which seems Ridiculous. Ridiculous for someone that <laughs> society holds on a pedestal as yeah. the kind of, you know, the the expert on developmental psychology. Yeah,
0: I think it's clear to say that, you know, Freud was great in his time and he's obviously supported and helped a lot of psychologists of today to to do what we do you know he, he he started off a lot of this movement but we know so much more now about the body and about the mind and we know that that isn't the case anymore you know that the clitoris does need stimulation in order for orgasm to take place usually and i'd say that you know for those um, women that are having penetrative sex and their orgasm in that way some might say it's the kind of the internal clitoris that That's been stimulated and some of what you described, some of that kind of the internal um, sexual organs. Because it it goes around the
1: vagina and it's got these kind of arching bulbs as well. So the penetrative sex might be stimulating the the body of the clitoris. I know you said you wanted to sort of take the pressure off orgasm when it comes to sexual relationships and sexual acts. But if you know, there was a heterosexual couple or any couple and the woman was failing on a regular basis to achieve orgasm or even never achieved orgasm, what sort of practical life tips in terms of uh, sleep habits or things that they would do during, before, after, would you actually advise so they actually orgasm more and enjoy sex? So the first thing I'd say is to understand what your
0: body needs separate from the sexual space of your partner. It's really difficult to work out what turns you on sexually when your partner's staring at mm. you. There's a lot of pressure there. So away from that, you need to have a think about what turns you on. And I'm not just talking about sexual stimuli. I'm talking about things like your partner, like what your partner says or does. One thing that I think we don't talk about enough is if the relationship isn't where it needs to be, then that can have an impact on how relaxed your body is and how connected you feel to your partner. So that then impacts you having an orgasm. So, for example, if your partner is disrespectful to you or critical of something you've done, it may not even be related to sex. It might have been something that happened early Mm. on the day, linked to something completely different. But if you've internalised that as something that feels, that makes you feel less than, would you then want to connect with that person? Because if what you're saying is that you're expecting your body and your mind to be vulnerable with someone to be that you don't really yeah. feel safe
1: with. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think it's about being really honest about that. So I would say explore what's going on in the relationship to make sure that you feel safe, physically and emotionally safe with your partner. You know, remember, there are lots of ways to to turn turn ourselves on. It's not just porn, as people often sort of just go to that. There are sex toys. There's audio erotica as well. So if you're someone that likes to listen to a sexy scenario, then that can be a turn on as well. There's erotic literature. Um, There's massage. So look at what you need. And then have a discussion with your partner about it. It might be the case that it doesn't feel very private for you when you're having I sex see. with your partner. So, for example, if you've got kids next door mm. or you'd feel like the neighbour can about hear that. you downstairs, yeah, that will impact your ability to really connect with your partner and to orgasm. So it, it's really difficult. There's, there aren't like two or three things that you need to look at and think about. There are a number of things that need to be view. explored to include your relationship to sex in the very first place. Yeah. Because for some people, we've grown up in a household in our younger years where sex was told, we were taboo. told that sex is, is bad. Yeah, yeah or, yeah. It's, or you, don't, you don't speak about it or that's disgusting yeah, or whatever yeah. it may be. Or there might be some religion, uh, yeah. thought religious thoughts around, you know, sex being maybe just for reproduction and not yeah. for pleasure. So we're now in 2023 and you're expected to enjoy sex and to let loose and swing from the chandeliers. <laughs> yeah. But deep in your head, you're like but my Catholic mum or my Muslim mum or my yeah. Christian mum has said that's that's dirty
1: thank you so much for chatting about orgasms I know a lot of people probably won't be comfortable talking about it but hopefully they're comfortable listening and using some of the tips that you gave to improve their own relationship with sex I'm absolutely thank you for having me and I'm glad
0: that we've got a platform like this to talk about orgasms
1: you had a burning question for me
0: yeah I've always wondered whether you know As a doctor, like, what's the most bizarre thing that you've ever seen or heard from a patient?
1: Um, Seen, I could probably write you an entire book (laughs) of some of the stuff I've seen. I think the it's wrong to say highlights because it's not like a you know a a tour. I'm seeing all these things, but one of the probably one of the scariest things I've seen when I first started out in surgery was a patient who had their intestines hanging out of them. Oh, wow. They just had an operation, a big abdominal surgery, so they had a big cut in their tummy. Their tummy began to swell after the operation, and it just burst the stitches, and their intestines were sticking out, which was a very visceral sight, and okay. uh, oh. I, I was genuinely scared. I was very junior at the time. I didn't really know how to handle that. Mm. But in terms of uh, weird things that or bizarre things that patients have said... There was a very confused, delirious patient on one of the elderly care wards in my first year as a doctor. Yeah. And obviously in elderly care, on geriatric wards, you have very sick patients who some of them may be at the sort of end of their life passing away yeah. with you know urine, severe urine infections, heart problems, lung problems, all sorts. Mm-hmm. There was a patient in one of the side rooms. Uh, that was palliated. So they were kept comfortable. They had uh, a really horrible chest infection which didn't respond to antibiotics and the patient and family wanted to, you know, just stop any antibiotic care and all care. So they were just kept comfortable in the side room. One of these confused patients on the main bay, I was seeing them and they started getting increasingly agitated and started shouting and named that patient in the side room, so and so is dying. So and so is going to die now. Wow! And immediately after that happened, there was some noise that was heard in that side room. And me and my colleague who were there, we went there straight away. And the patient was really struggling in the sort of last few moments and passed away. Oh my gosh. So for me, obviously, you know, healthcare professionals sometimes can be a superstitious bunch mm. uh, when it comes to you know, don't work on full moons or don't say the Q word, don't say it's quiet, all these sort of things, <laughs> but. This was really bizarre. I mean, surely my science brain is thinking that's a coincidence. Mm. But also, on one hand, I'm thinking, wow, that's a bit creepy. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. If it ducks like Like a quack. quack. What is this? Well, basically... If you've seen a myth online, chances are I've probably heard it and some of them are terrible. Today we'll be tackling some orgasm myths. There's actually a very small percentage of women that will orgasm via penetrative sex. The vagina does not have anywhere near the number of nerve endings that you'd see in the periurethral erectile tissue or even in the clitoris as well. And most women would see orgasm preferentially via clitoral stimulation because, contrary to popular opinion, the clitoris isn't just a tiny button that you can press and that you see on the outside it actually extends behind and around the vaginal wall so even if someone does orgasm via penetrative vaginal sex chances are there's actually a significant stimulation of the internal body of the clitoris and the clitoral bulbs as well so that is a complete myth now the second myth women only enjoy sex if they climax now Again, this is probably down to some degree of personal preference, but most sex experts agree that sex isn't all about the act of climaxing, that's only one component of sex and a sexual relationship. Sex actually starts outside the bedroom, all sorts of sensory stimulation that needs to occur as well, that's all part of the greater arousal around sex. And our third myth, masturbation ruins sex with your partner. Again, this is down to personal preference. There is no evidential basis for saying that this is true for every single person. Some people may enjoy this as part of their sexual adventures. Some people may not. So again, it's down to personal preference and science has no say in this. Our fourth myth, women can have multiple orgasms during sex, but men can't. Is that a myth? Well, it's sort of true. There is some research out there, and I don't ask me why these scientists did research of looking at brain scans in men and women during orgasm, it's just for science, okay? Basically there are certain areas of the brain, certain brain regions which fail to respond to further genital stimulation in men. But in women, these same brain regions continue to be activated and are lit up on scans, which explains why they may continue to have orgasms and multiple orgasms. But all you need to know is that there are more similarities than differences between orgasms on a neuroscientific basis between men and women, but this one is a bit of truth to it. And our final myth orgasms are these life-changing earth-shattering events that you see on tv well again it depends science can't give you an answer for everything and i wish it did but it's not always as hollywood wants you to think it is for some people depending on how sensitive they are it may be an incredible explosive event For some others it may not have the same feeling Next up we have crowd science. It's now your turn to ask me all sorts of questions. Don't make me regret it. Today Dan has written in to ask, "How do I know if I have sleep apnea?" That's a good question. Now there is no specific way to either confirm or deny just based on you knowing your symptoms alone. Whether you have sleep apnea, you need to be diagnosed by a medical professional, and they may need to run various tests on you, uh, which may involve you sleeping in a sleep lab where they measure your breathing, your heart rate, and various other readings as well. But a few things might clue you into that you know something might be going wrong. So you know if you're snoring, snoring alone is not a uh, a diagnostic criteria for sleep apnea, but things like feeling incredibly drowsy and tired throughout the day, being irritable, having mood swings, feeling lethargic during the day because you've not been sleeping right, uh, choking, you know, when you're sleeping, uh, stopping breathing, really incredible heavy snoring, uh, and, you know, all sorts of these sort of symptoms which might overlap with just normal snoring, which may not be a problem. But if your partner's noticed any of these things uh, that I've mentioned, or you found that you're stopping breathing and stopping starting snoring, during the the night time when you're sleeping it may be something to flag up to your own family doctor or personal medical professional so you can then investigate that further as always stay safe now if you'd like to ask a question just like dan has feel free to leave a voice note or get in touch at the referralpod.com now quick disclaimer i am a real doctor but i'm not your personal medical doctor so if you have any specific medical advice that needs attending to go and see your own doctor this has been a sony music production production management was Jen mystery videos were by ryan o'meara studio engineer was ed gill music by josh carter director of photography james weller vision mixer frankie curry grace laker and hannah talbot were the producers and Gaynor marshall is the executive producer see you next time